Welcome everybody to the weekend. It is so good to be with you and I'm looking forward to being with you on July the 12th. You're going to be getting a very important video and information this upcoming Friday that will detail out for you how to plan if you are planning to be back with us as we regather on the 12th. Some of you are asking, what about Edina and Loring Park? They will launch sometime afterwards, perhaps the very beginning of August. We feel like we need to do one campus right at a time. So please hang in there with us. But uh, we're hopeful and I'm looking forward to seeing you. I want to tell you about something that happened to me when I was a little boy. We had just come back from the mission field and we were renting a house on Sunview Avenue. I remember that house because in the back was something very peculiar. There was this great big green door that opened to the ground. Being naive as I was as a child, having come from a very primitive place, I thought to myself, why would anybody put a door in the backyard? Well, my dad explained to me that it was actually a tornado shelter, and I had no idea what a tornado was. So then he explained what a tornado was and what it does. I suddenly became very intrigued and very thankful for that door and that shelter. Now, we didn't stay there very long, and I think we only used it once, but it was a real relief when the siren sounded that a tornado had been spotted to be able to go down in there and wait it out. Thank God nothing terrible happened, no tornado came by, and everything was good. We were prepared, however, for any windstorm that might come our way. Well, then my parents decided to buy a place to live. And believe it or not, they chose to buy a mobile home. Now, you can't be in a more unsafe environment than a mobile home when you have a terrific windstorm or a tornado. And so, for the rest of my years living at home, we lived in mobile homes. And every time the sirens would go off in the summer and the lightning would crack with the thunder and, and, and somebody you know, on the news would say a tornado has been spotted, we'd all kind of get nervous about what are we going to do? Are we going to make it this time? And I remember many times feeling that thing shake and wondering, are we going to blow over? Thank God he kept watch over us and protected us. Here's my point. At uh, Sunview Avenue, we were prepared for any storm. In our mobile home, we are totally unprepared. Which brings me to the whole idea of preppers. Have you heard of them? I think preppers have the motto, expect the worst. They obsess over gathering and preparing for terrible things that might happen. And there's a whole industry around it as well. I mean, you could buy buckets of food to store for years, freeze-dried, vacuum-packed that can last you 30, 60, 90 days if they're ever needed. Or if you want, you can buy a bunker, a place to go and hide and be safe in. In fact, there are bunker communities springing up around the United States, places that you can buy. In fact, there's been a 700% increase in the number of luxury bunkers that are being sold, $500,000 and above. Who buys that stuff? Well, rich Hollywood actors, rich sports stars, rich businessmen and bankers, they buy those things. They live in those places. See, are those, are those places real? They're not pretty on the outside, but they're pretty impressive on the inside. Grabbed a picture off the internet. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? I could shudder in there for a while. Some have pools. Some have exercise rooms. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Walled off, artillery there, guards to protect you. You say, Pastor, that sounds like it's kind of off the chain, over the top, 
stuff like that really exist? Do people really fear an apocalypse, an end of the world? Well, USA Today just did a poll, a survey in 2020. Here's the results asking people, do you think there's going to be an apocalypse someday? 19% said yes, and it'll be because of a global pandemic. Interesting, huh? Another 19% said yes, but probably because of climate change. Another 17% said yes, nuclear war. 13% said judgment day. 5% said something else. 3% said worldwide revolution. 2% said zombies. 1% said alien invasion. And about 21% don't think there will ever be an apocalypse. So I would say to you, yes, people are kind of worried about the future, especially in these days that we are living in. Are you? Hey, welcome to our sermon series called Tomorrowland, Facing a Future Without Fear. We're looking at two little letters the Apostle Paul wrote to believers living in a place in Greece called Thessaloniki. And he's writing them to encourage them because they're young believers. He spent time and then he had to lead them because there was all kinds of difficulties going on and persecution impending. When he finds out that they're surviving and thriving, it excites him, but they've got lots of questions. They're feeling the heat of persecution. So they want to know things from Paul like, when is Jesus coming back? How should we prepare for the end times? What happens when we die? And Paul proceeds then to answer those questions. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Did you get that? Let's see if we can summarize what Paul was saying in a big idea that I'd like to unpack with you. The idea goes like this. You cannot predict exactly when Christ will return, and you do not know when you will take your last breath. I think we'd all agree with that. But, all right, you can be confident. I'm thankful for that and hopeful when the moment comes, when you take your last breath or our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Either way, our life on this earth is really short, isn't it? And we want to be prepared. 
So Paul talks to them about that. He says it's important for us to prepare to meet the Lord by number one, remembering what we already know. He says then, remember what you already know. If you were listening as the passage was read, Paul kind of says, I really don't need to talk to you about this. We've already been over it. Evidently, Paul, when he was in Thessaloniki, talked to them about the end times, about death and the return of Christ and what would be taking place. But I understand where they're coming from. If somebody's talking to you and you're not facing cancer and they're giving a lecture on cancer, you don't really pay attention. Or if you don't have any relational problems, they're talking about how to overcome relationship problems, you don't pay attention to it. Or if they talk about what to do if you lose your job, but you haven't lost your job, you get my point, right? But when it actually happens to you, that's when you're like, uh, could you say that again? Could you give me that book again? Could I hear that sermon again? What is happening to me? Where is God in all of this? What, what's going to take place? So as they're feeling the heat of persecution, they have these kinds of questions that they're asking. And so Paul says, okay, let's talk about it. He says, remember now, it's, it's going to be like a thief who steals something in the night. A couple of uh, months ago, actually last year, there was a rash of break-ins around where we live. In fact, a few streets down from us, there was a home where while the family was asleep, the thief or thieves went in and stole several things out. Evidently, they had left their garage door open all night and somebody had the, had the, the guts to go in there and check the door and see what's unlocked. Can you imagine getting up the next morning to turn on TV and there's no TV there? <laughs> to check your email and the computer is gone? That's very unsettling. Paul also says, let's, let's talk about the end times in terms of people who cry out, peace and safety, nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Now, the Thessalonians were living under the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There was relative peace if you were in the Roman Empire because if you broke the peace, boy, the military is down your throat right now. So people live with a great sense of fear. You bowed to the emperor, did as you were told. And as long as you did as you're told, yeah, there's kind of peace. You want to call that peace. I don't know if you heard or not, but just recently in China, another couple of hundred churches were forced to get rid of their crosses. I thought to myself, what is that all about? Why does the cross intimidate people? The cross is about love and mercy and grace. What's going on here? The Bible tells us that there will always be, and particularly toward the end times, those who oppose God, those who oppose the things of God who want to alter a different, who want to offer a different system, a different savior, a different way to believe and think. Let me show you what I mean. Let me draw this out for just a moment because I think it's very appropriate for us to see. I want you to imagine here's this cross, okay? And that represents God, that represents the truth. The further you move away from the cross, you see an increase, we'll say, of sin. And with sin, increase comes all kinds of problems, wickedness and rebellion and violence and lies and untruth. And it, I mean, it affects everything, even the economy, right? So people have to make a choice. Do I move back towards God and towards the truth, which means I really got to change my life, or do I look for a different kind of Savior? Do I look for a Savior who will give me some peace who will give me some prosperity, 
but who won't necessarily mess with some of the things I like to do that God won't let me do. And the Bible teaches us that throughout history there has been and there will come a day when the world will put forth a false savior, otherwise known in the Bible as the Antichrist, who will say, I will give you what you want, peace and prosperity, but you have to bow your knee to me and to my system. Now, I am sure in times past when people heard messages like this, they thought to themselves, that is so ridiculous. That is so fantasy. That is so, that is, you know, that's just wild. But as you look at the world and look at the culture today and the ache for some sense of peace, some sense of, of universal prosperity, I think this is a huge, huge potential that we might be dealing with sooner than a lot of us realize or think. So let's talk a little bit about that together. In essence, what Paul is saying to them is this. I want you to remember, he says, I want you to remember what you already know. The coming of Christ is totally unexpected. Like a thief who comes at night and you're not expecting them. Like someone who says, peace and safety. We finally arrived. We've built our Tower of Babel. The Lord says, that's when you've got to be ready because his coming is at the door. Could we be living in those times? People have been asking that question since Jesus ascended back to the Father. We don't know. But what we do know is this. Not only is the coming of Christ unexpected, but it is inescapable. Once everything is set in motion by God, prophetically speaking, there's no retraction. Take, for instance, Paul says, a woman who gives birth. If she's a new mom, she's never given birth before, right? And no matter how many classes she attends, no matter how many of her girlfriends who've had children tell her about it, no matter how many videos she, she watches, when those final contractions come, there's nothing like it. And when the baby starts to come out, you can't put the baby back in. It is inescapable. It is done. So Paul's saying, listen, Thessalonians, he's saying to you and me, listen, the coming of Christ is unexpected. We can't predict exactly when it's going to happen, though we can discern the times. And he said, once God begins the judgments, the return of his son, there's no going back. What decisions are made are final. Hence the importance, he says, of being prepared. Remember what you know. He goes on the passage of Scripture now, and he says, know what you're not. So remember what you know, know what you're not. You say, what's that all about? Well, he says, for instance, know that you're not in the dark. Secondly, he says, you're not surprised by what's happening around you. Those are things that you should know. You should, you should know that you're not in the dark about these things. You're not blind. You're not like, you know, a little play in that word darkness, right? And he says, you should be surprised by what's happening around you. You've been informed. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the truth. You are not of the dark. Look what he says in the passage of Scripture. He says, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are, here it is, 
children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. And when Paul's talking about darkness and night here, what he's doing is he's referring to this evil world. He's referring to the evil ways of the world. You know, Satan is the god of this world. So what is this this world then, if it's, if it's not the ball of dirt we call the earth? What, what is this worldliness that he's, that he's speaking about? Well, look what John had to say in a little letter that he wrote. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. I was driving down the other day, and I went by a Culver sign and then a DQ, Dairy Queen sign. And I so wanted to pull into both of them because they were meeting my desires for ice cream and for sweet. Those advertisements are there to what? To conjure up my desires, to meet those desires. Paul says, be careful of the world. The world is all about how can I meet your desires? And it sucks you in. That's how Satan works. He says, do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, he says. When it says peace, safety, it's all okay. He says, no, don't believe that. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. He says, you're not in the dark. You've been taken out of the dark. Light has come into your life. Jesus is the light of the world. He says, you are now children of the daylight. And you see and you know. You had the truth. Others are, are, are calling for peace and calling for safety and, and, and hoping for hope. He says, we, we, we don't live by our circumstances. We, we don't live in what the world offers us. He says, our peace, our safety is something that nobody can ever take away from us. Why? Because it's not based on a circumstance. It's based on a person. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I read this this week in my own quiet time. Paul says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace, all right? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And then if you go over to John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. What an amazing gift. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And then John 16, he says, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Where's the peace? In the world? No. world brings trouble and tribulation. But he says, peace is in me. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something good in store for you and for me after our short time on this earth? He says, remember what you know. 
know who you are. Look, he says in the next passage here, preparing to meet the Lord, don't forget who you are. So who are you? Who am I? What, what's, what's he talking about in that passage? Well, let's take a careful look at it together. Let's read what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. For God chose to save us. You are chosen. You are chosen. If you had given your life to Christ, you know without a shadow of doubt that you're chosen. In fact, God chose you so you could choose him. He chose you in Christ Jesus who gave his life for you. And when you put your faith in him, you accepted that choice. You moved into what was yours. For he died for the whole world. That whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're chosen. Isn't that great? For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus, not to pour out his anger or his wrath or his judgment on us. So not only are you chosen, you're protected. You're protected from the wrath of God, from the anger of God. Now, we are going to face trials and tribulations in this world. We'll face the wrath of humanity, of, of, of a system that is anti-God. We do already. But as a follower of Christ, you will never face the wrath of God because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. He took the punishment that we deserved on himself so we could have mercy and so we could have forgiveness and be in this right relationship. So I'm chosen, right? I'm protected. Watch this. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. I'm chosen, I'm protected, and I'm promoted. <laughs> I'm promoted. I know that when I die, we talked about this last weekend, I close my eyes to this world and I open my eyes to the presence of God where I will be with him forever. And when he returns to this earth, I will rule with him and all the saints forever. This is what he's done for us. Do you have that joy? Do you have that anticipation? Do you have that sense of hope? Let's look at another thing here. Paul says, prepare to meet the Lord way you do that is you do what you know you're supposed to do. You do what you know you're supposed to do. You say, well, well, what is it I'm supposed to do? Let's look at our passage of Scripture together. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, he says, and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed. He says it again. Protected by the armor of faith, right, and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So let's unpack that a little bit. Paul says one of the ways you prepare for the Lord to return is you do what you are supposed to do. And the first thing he tells us about what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be clear-headed. Clear-headed. Now, the idea there in other passages, in other translations, is sober. The opposite of being drunk. We're to be alert. We're to be awake. We're to be attuned. 
We're to be sober. What's going on around us? In Rome, in that society, if you were drunk during the day, that was, that was like the worst thing you could do, right? You were shamed for that. That was, that was a horrible, disgusting thing to be drunk during the day. But at night, well, nobody cared. At night, there was drunkenness, there was immorality, there was all kinds of evil that would take place. See, when Paul talks about drunkenness, it's really kind of a metaphor for living for the excesses of life. Living and trying to please my desires and my cravings. Paul says, don't give in to your cravings. Don't give in to what the world says will fulfill your life. Stay clear-headed. And then he says this. He says, protect your mind and your heart. And what he does is he alludes to this whole idea of armor that we put on. And everybody would have understood that because he's talking about the armor a Roman soldier wears. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul actually gives quite a lengthy description of the, Romans ar- the Roman soldier's armor and likens it to a spiritual armor we need to wear. Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us the reason we have to wear this armor is because we're in a battle. But listen, he says, it's not a battle with flesh and blood. It's a battle with demons and principalities and powers and Satan himself. A well-orchestrated system that wants to do everything it can to destroy God's people and God's work. So when Paul talks about the armor, you've got to remember, he's telling us that we're facing a battle and it's beyond flesh and blood. It's a battle with a spiritual dimension. I am convinced, I am convinced this weekend that what's happening in our state, in our country, and in our world is demonically inspired. Satan is at work in a fierce way right now. And you and I as believers... We need to be having our armor on. We need, to wear that, we need to wear that helmet Paul talks about, that helmet of salvation, that confident hope of our salvation. You know, the helmet's defensive to protect the head. Paul says, keep your head protected. Keep your mind on Christ. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the temptations. Remember, you are saved You've been saved from your sins. You've been saved from death. You are saved into eternity. You are going to be with God forever. Don't lose that hope. Don't lose that message. And then he says, wear the breastplate of armor. Protect your heart. Protect the vital organ here. The spiritual heart is what he means now. And he says, the way you do that is, is first of all, by faith in Jesus Keep your faith fixed in Jesus. And then he says, and keep your love focused toward others. Now we're going to talk more about that in a few weeks when we come back to this again in the beginning of Thessalonians and then I'll explain to you why I started with the end of First and Second Thessalonians. But I want you to look at one more thought with me. Paul says, so encourage each other And build each other up just as you are already doing. Paul says, while you're waiting for Christ's return or before you die and go to be with him, I want you to do everything you can. 
Because you need each other to come alongside each other, to encourage each other, to build each other, to call each other to accountability, to stay alert, to stay awake, to stay clear-headed, to keep your faith fixed on Christ and your love alive, not just for God, but for each other and for a world that so desperately needs Christ. Came across this quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's so appropriate. He wrote and said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Darkness does not drive out darkness. It takes light. Hate cannot drive out hate. It takes love. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. Think about that. When he came, he didn't come to build a bunker to hide in. He faced life. He faced temptation. He faced suffering. He faced death. He faced crucifixion. The worst kind of death. And how did he do it? He kept his mind focused on the Father's will. How did he do it? He had faith that the Father would resurrect him from the dead. How did he do it? He loved this world so much. Paul says, use that to build up and encourage each other. How do you prepare for the coming of the Lord? By remembering what you know. By knowing who you are. By knowing what you're supposed to do. And then encouraging and strengthening each other. Don't forget what you are not. You're not of this dark world. You're not of this evil. You've been set apart. You are a daylight person, chosen, protected, and promoted. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? You know, I just want to ask you a question. Are you prepared? Are you prepared if Jesus were to come this week, this month, next year, 10 years from now? Better question, are you prepared if you were to take your last breath today? Prepared to see Jesus. The Bible says that we can be assured of our salvation by simply surrendering our lives to God, by owning our sinfulness, by repenting of it, by receiving his forgiveness, and turning our lives around and beginning to walk with him. If you've never done that, or you're unsure if you've ever done that, would you just say a simple prayer with me? And I'm only giving you words to what has to be your heart expression. You've got to want this in your heart of hearts. Or don't say the prayer, because then you're just, just throwing words in the air. And words cannot save us. It is Christ who saves us, and it's our heart's faith in what he's done for us. 
So pray this prayer if you'd like, quietly where you are, Lord Jesus Christ. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess to you, God, that I am easily overcome by this world. I'm easily driven by my desires. I look for saviors. And the world has failed me and is failing me. So today, I want to bow my knee to you. Today, I want to exchange to you all my guilt and shame and sin for your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. I welcome you into my life, Lord Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for anyone who has prayed that prayer, that you would give them a confirmation in their spirit that you've heard their prayer, that they would experience the infilling of your presence, and that God, you would lead them on this new journey with amazing discoveries of your love for them, the meaning of life, the hope that awaits us. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you said yes to God today, would you just click on that button that says, I said yes. Or if you're watching on Facebook Live, you've just been sent a link by our host. If you just click on that, we want to actually get you paired up with somebody and help you begin your journey. We want to send you some very helpful information to guide you in this journey, this walk with God. You are not alone. You are not alone. We want to connect with you somehow. So please, please let us know. Now, this is the time when we're going to observe communion together. So if you haven't gathered your elements together, I encourage you to do that right now. Whatever simple bread or juice that you have, and let us partake. Whether you're with someone or you're alone, I want you to know that Christ is with you and that he loves you. And the Bible says the only requirement is that you be born again. So if you've received Christ or just given your life to the Lord, join me in communion. Otherwise, if you haven't made that decision yet, if you care to just continue to watch and listen, I'd ask you to ponder the question, why not? Why not? Why haven't I given my life to Christ yet? If we can help you in some way, please contact us. But let's talk about communion together in just a moment. Father, as we enter this time of communion, pray that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you for the meaning of the bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was given for us. And we thank you for the cup, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. In these next few moments, where you are, just take a few moments to be still. And just meditate on God's love for you. Speak to him whatever you wish. And after our music is over, we'll take communion together. <laughs> 